Live from 33 East, Ida B. Wells Drive, this is The Ryan Pollock Show on 88.1 WCRX-FM. We'll do it live. We'll do it live! The Ryan Pollock Show. I'll write it and we'll do it live! The Ryan Pollock Hey, welcome to the Ryan Pollock Show here on WCRX. Another edition of the Ryan Pollock Show. I think this is... Is this like the seventh episode or something now? The seventh edition of it? Getting up there in the numbers. They're going to have to start paying me more or something. They're going to keep me around for number eight. Uh, i got a great show for you. Ashton's going to be on for the second hour. Uh, we're going to be talking about some of the richest people in America. We're going to be looking at that. We're going to be looking at some other uh, odd news. We've got a lot of odd news for you. But first... We've got a couple guests in the studio for the local portion for the next hour. My guests today are a first for the Ryan Pollock Show. They are uh, the guys behind the scenes of the music that you typically hear. Uh, they don't play out and about around town every night, and they don't they don't have boatloads of girls chasing them like the Beatles and those old. And he's shaking his head at me. You know, like the old the old things that you saw the Beatles like. They're not out, they're not performing all the time, but their responsibility is just as big. They're responsible of giving those artists their sounds. And their names are Wesley Reno and Andrew Patrick. Welcome to the Ryan Pollock Show. I told him your middle name. <laughs> yeah, what's up? What do, you mean? what do you mean? Oh, yeah, I called you Andrew, Andrew uh, Patrick. It's all good. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. Andrew's fine. Uh, yeah, so... Wesley told me your middle name was Patrick, and I must have accidentally put that down on here as your last name, even though your last name is my first name. Right. <laughs> so exactly. I don't know how you screw that up, but uh, <laughs> Andrew Ryan, and, and he specifically, the reason I wrote this t- the reason that I wrote this down as well is because he told me you didn't like to be called by your middle name, and I made, I made right. a note. I was like, don't call him by his middle name. And within the first three seconds of the show, I call you by your middle name. It's all right. It's so, all good. Andrew Ryan <laughs> and Wesley Reno, welcome hey. to the Ryan Pollock show. Thank you. Uh, Thank now, you. now, Wesley, you were shaking your head at me there when I was uh, when I was talking about the boatloads. You just kind of like threw us under the bus, man. You, <laughs> didn't, you didn't even give us a chance. You're like, no. they don't they don't get any girls, man. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't mean it like that. I just meant like you know, you're not. You know the producers are are the guys behind the scenes doing the hard work. You know they're on they're sweating and they're they're staying up late at night in the studio and they're they're digging into tracks and you know and then the guys are just like show up late to the session and then they come in and then they're super picky about how they want yeah. their guitars and you know but so I'm, I'm saying you guys aren't those you're not the Beatles yeah. you're not like running around on the streets yeah we're kind of like babysitters yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. George Martin was the babysitter of the Beatles. And, yeah, and, absolutely. I agree with that. Without without him, the, the Beatles wouldn't be who they are today. So you guys are producers. You're aspiring to be aspiring, producers. Yes, yes. Well, you produce now. Yeah. All right. Okay. So you're you're producers, and um and you go to Columbia, mm-hmm. both of you. What mm-hmm. do you What are you guys majoring in? Uh, audio design and production. Same. Sounds about right. Sounds about right where you should be. <laughs> uh, what 
how did you let's talk first about how you got into into music and this is different than all the other guests that i've had on the show because um i i it's different in that you know when you um when you learn music you, you maybe you pick up an instrument or something but it seems like it's a completely different process to get into like i want to record this music and we were talking out there i was saying about how technology today is easier to find than it was in the 60s at the time of the beatles um, but it's still tough if, if you have family members that aren't into music and they don't know what recording is and it's still tough to figure out like, how can I even record this guitar into a laptop to begin with? And so how did you guys kind of find your way into music and then figure out that you wanted to even produce? Well, I mean, I think a lot of producers, it starts off with being a musician yourself. So like I play guitar, I started playing guitar when I was seven and just, you know, picked it up and put it down throughout my teenage years and then really started getting seriously into it when I was about 16 years old. Uh, but I went to college for math at first. That was what I studied down in Missouri. And uh, I worked at the radio station when I was doing it because I was getting like no joy at all out of what I was studying. It just seemed like, oh, I'm doing this to get a job, you know? And, uh, but the radio station was a super passionate place for music. And I'd like always loved music up to that point because I was listening to like Beatles, classic stuff like Led Zeppelin. Um, and then I went down to the radio station and then I just started getting exposed to everything because there's guys there who love indie. They love punk rock, which is where I found like my heart lies and hip hop, which I also love. And they started exploring the undergrounds and showing people the undergrounds of those things. So I just started hearing this. And the thing I noticed was that it all was produced well, despite the, the, the fidelity of it. So like, even if something sounds horrible and distorted, it can still be produced well. That can be an aesthetic of the production. So then it just occurred to me that production is just as much of an art form as recording the music is. And it's so, hard to record something that sounds bad. It is. And like to get that aesthetic, it, I think it's much more difficult to record something that sounds bad. Like, you know, like we were talking about that bad quality that you said, um, than it is to record something that's hyper, highly produced and produced well. Um, some of those aesthetics that you're talking about. Yeah, I feel like mediocre recording is somewhere in between really bad and really good. And then the really good recording is either really good or not really bad because that's kind of an objective term, but sounds yeah. distorted, sounds distorted low fidelity. So Lo-fi. Like, yeah, it's either way you do it and then everything that's mediocre is somewhere in between those two extremes. Yeah, and I, and I feel like when you try to sit down, artists that aren't as, or producers I should say, that aren't as experienced try to sit down and produce something that's lo-fi, um, if they're not used to that, sometimes it just ends up sounding just like... Yeah. Like I said, just bad. You know what I mean? Like you're going for that, but it's hard to explain. You can't. I think that like it's become an aesthetic because some people were jokingly like, oh, you don't have to be talented to produce something. Like it can be as lo-fi as you want it to be. And then it kind of caught on like, I don't need to know anything about how to record and produce. I'm just going to make my stuff lo-fi. And then people try it and it kind of developed an aesthetic when it first started. But I mean, that's been around for a long time anyways. But the, the, the true engineers are the ones who can make it sound like delicious and vintage. And well, that's the, that's, I think the desired aesthetic of lo-fi. Yeah. And I think it's just like the same thing as you listen to music from the sixties and that you can, you just, you can't make music that sounds like that because of the spaces that they were in and the microphones that they had and how people were trained vocally back then. Like, you know, you look at these pictures, like we keep talking about the Beatles, but they're standing there with George Martin and they've got coffee in one hand and cigarettes in another. And it's like, you know, all of those small things play such a huge role into the overall sound of, of, uh, of an album or a song. And some of those are, are hard to, uh, 
to replicate today. But we got off topic. Uh, yeah, but all these aesthetics and stuff just started appealing to me. And then I realized that production is just as much of an art form as creating the music is. And uh, I moved back to my house in St. Louis and then applied to colleges. And it was either Belmont University in Nashville or Columbia College Chicago. And I just thought Columbia would be a little bit more my speed. So I moved up here in January and started the program. Good. Yeah. So you're relatively new to the Columbia program. But yeah. from what I've heard, you're taking off uh, pretty well here. Hopefully. And <laughs> yeah. And, and Wesley is uh, uh, our production guy here at WCRX, too. So kind of a little in-house uh, kind of self, self-plug self there for WCRX. Or, yeah. Yeah. And I've believe me, he... Uh, has produced some of the bumps for me on the Ryan Pollock show, and they sound amazing. So I know that I know his uh, credentials are are stacked. Uh, now we move over to Andrew Ryan. Yeah. Andrew Ryan, that's his last name, not Patrick. It's Ryan, <laughs> which is my first name. Um, how did you get your start in production? Yeah, so um, it started definitely with just a love of music to begin with. Uh, I have been around music all my life. My dad's a drummer. Uh, pretty uh, active one so we would have bands at our house practicing uh all the time and uh i tried to pick up the drums myself but it wasn't really uh for me and so i went over to guitar started learning that and that became a, a really big passion of mine um and i started my first band when i was in seventh grade and wow. uh and at the time we had my dad record us in our basement and that's kind of where the idea of becoming a music producer and actually getting into the recording of music really kind of started for me um is watching my dad record me and my band uh, at the time and it's horrible i i think there's maybe like a cd out there floating around uh and hopefully it gets destroyed soon because it was all <laughs> really terrible but uh it was a really great experience and um i, I think for me Music production was something that uh, didn't really seem attainable. It was something that, you know, sure, I, I can get a little PreSonus audio box and plug my guitar in and just, uh, you know, get a, get a couple things down that I want to remember and come back to. But uh, it never really seemed like something that um, I would really actually pursue. But uh, I was out of school. I was working and um, I had been kind of thinking about doing audio production and uh my dad uh, grew up with this uh, guy who was starting a studio, and I got a chance to just sit down with him, talk a little bit, ask him some questions about the industry. And at the end, he offered me an internship, and that was kind of the catalyst for uh, setting off and, and doing this instead. So That's awesome. I'm all in on music production. That's a good story. I mean, and Wesley, did your parents have any musical background? Yeah, my dad is a jazz musician, and my mom played when she was younger, she doesn't play anymore. Oh, okay. All right. So maybe you guys don't connect with me when I say, you know, about how um, finding equipment and, and kind of finding that, like, you know, your dad produced you. So you're around the stuff and he played music and your parents played music. But like, so my parents didn't have any musical ability. And so when I was growing up, I had no idea what an interface was probably until like just four years ago, literally, because you know, I just played guitar. Like I didn't need to know how to record it. I was just in a band. We play at bars and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what's interesting about, you know, about production is, yeah, like you're saying, you know, everybody starts out as a musician and then they figure out like, hey, maybe I want to record this myself. And um, it's getting your hands on those techniques that are tough. Like it doesn't really, you can't go to a 30 minute lesson every week that they give you production or you can, but they're not 
you know, you don't find those as much and if it's outside of a school, it's not like a piano lesson where you sit down and like, okay, today we're going to work on EQing vocals. And then you sit down for a half an hour and then you're done and then your parents come and pick you up. It's not like that at all. And so it's interesting how producers, um, get, get found and, and kind of find that, that niche off of, of their, uh, their instrument itself. So, but it sounds like you guys have great backgrounds in music from your family. Yeah. I think like my parents would have rather given me a guitar or I played French horn for a while. They'd rather give me that than an Xbox. I don't know. I think that they <laughs> saw the value in me sitting down and learning to play an instrument. And so that's how it started off. I still played Xbox anyways, <laughs> but <laughs> no, they just keep, you thought you've caught on like the more I play Xbox, the more uh, instruments that they buy me. So I'll just keep <laughs> no, not necessarily <laughs> at all. <laughs> I think it was the other way around. <laughs> uh, so you guys have been producing for a while now and, and you, you have, um, maybe like a set, um, you have a sound, right? Would you guys say that you each individually have a sound that I think for me, at least I'm still figuring out exactly what that is. I think, uh, for right now, my goal is to start off to just create the cleanest sound I can just be able to reproduce exactly what that artist wants first. And then I want to be able to go in and really develop my own signature style around that. At least that's how I'm approaching it. Yeah, I don't think that engineers and producers necessarily have sounds. I think that they have things. Like, this is, you know, this is George Martin's thing, or like, blah, blah, blah. And it's not necessarily a characteristic sound because it doesn't stay consistent throughout the different artists that they do in their catalogs. It's more like a technique that they use that can be applied in different styles. At least that's how I see it. Yeah, no, I I would say that's true. I mean, you listen to certain songs and you you kind of already know who's producing it before you even hear like you read the the uh, the credits or something because you know those particular sounds like oh they always use this snare sound or they always use this type of technique when they're transitioning from pre-chorus to chorus like they're always using this sweep and the same sounding stuff like that and so i would say that that's true they have those things that they always use or equipment even and like yeah. we were talking to is like space is everything about it you know, like when they were producing an Abbey Road in the 60s. That can't be replicated now because of some of the things that they were doing and they were using. And mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So uh, one thing that I always ask artists when they come on the show is who they sound like. So I think we're going to take a quick break and I'll come back and, and give you some time to think about this. Maybe who you produce like or who you would like to sound like production-wise. And you don't even have to say the producer if you don't know, but maybe the band if you, if you know a band and you know how they were produced. Okay. You can do that. Cool. So I'll give you some time to think about that. Don't go anywhere. You can also tune in on our Facebook Live. We're waving at it right now, and we look so beautiful on the, the camera there. Chicago's Underground at WCRX-FM. Check us out there, Facebook Live. Otherwise, the TuneIn Radio app or from your old car. You're listening to WCRX-FM. It's the Ryan Pollock Show, and I'll be back in two minutes. Be sure to check out WCRX's variety of podcasts, including The Career Class, hosted by Professors Flora Bernetti and Lisa Hopkins-Newell. The Career Class is about chasing success in contemporary America, fueling motivation and aspiration, and striving for growth in individuals' careers. Check it out. Um, But this chapter really kind of flipped me into thinking about, you know, seeking out people who are thinking differently. They, they're they not in agreement with me. And instead of dismissing them, like, oh, okay, thanks, um, embracing them and going, talk to me a little bit about our difference, our disagreement, and using it as a way to learn something and adding it onto your knowledge instead of rejecting it, going, okay, they don't agree with me. They don't see my vision. 
you know, they're not available wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Ryan Pollock Show on Chicago's Underground, 88.1 WCRX FM. Hey, welcome back to the Ryan Pollock Show here on WCRX FM. How uh, unprofessional is this of us? Uh, Wesley is our production. Um, what are they? What's your official title here? Production intern. Oh, intern. All right. Um, Wesley Reno, one of the producers that's on the first hour of the Ryan Pollock Show, um, along with Andrew Ryan. Uh, we're, we, we're both working here at WCRX FM and, and we got a phone call, which never happens on the show. And then we didn't know how to answer it. <laughs> so we looked a little frazzled there. And you, if, if you're watching on our Facebook live, you can see that you can tune in there at WCRX FM. So calling out, if, if you called in, call us back and I'll figure <laughs> out how to, how to work this phone line. We'll get you on if you want to talk about uh, production with, with these two bad boys. But before the break, I was asking them who they think they sound like when they produce or um, or who they would like to sound like produce band wise or or producer wise, and I think we're going to start with Andrew because he he looks like he's chomping at the bit here. Well, I I don't know if I have a specific producer in mind. Um, I think that I think of a lot of my uh, inspirations and and people that I listened to growing up uh, and wanting to try and replicate some of that. I think um, I mean I can't remember the name of the producer, but the person who produced the very first. Uh, Third Eye Blind album. Uh, that's like one of the first albums I ever had. It's uh, one of my favorite of all time. And uh, I think that it's one got really clean production, but um, looking into it more, they did some really interesting uh, techniques. Like uh, they recorded some of the drums uh, by uh, putting a, a protective wrapper over it and then sticking it underwater uh, to record drums. Uh, and like it, it recorded the vibrations that would pick up under the water by setting it next to the drums. I'm not exactly so wait, sure. So how, they would do, they yeah. take, they'd wrap the microphone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And put it in a protective coating so that it wouldn't, you know, get wet, get wet. Uh, but they would stick it underwater and then, uh, Oh, Eric Valentine. That's who it was. Okay. Um, thank you. Uh, so like little tricks like that, I think are really cool ways that you can, uh, change the sound, uh, depending on the different, medium that you're recording it through are really interesting. But uh, I think um, that album in particular is one that I, I think of a lot in terms of production and something that I would like to replicate. Is What songs are on that one? Because I don't know them by the album. Sure. I'm... The the first album from Third Eye Blind is self-titled, so it's Third Eye Blind, and it uh, has like Jumper, it has Semi-Charmed oh. Life, it has a bunch of the uh, the big hits that you probably recognize. Yeah, I do recognize um, those, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that yeah, that's one of the first things that jumps to mind. But now some of the stuff I listen to is a lot more punk, and like one of my most recent favorite albums is uh, Morbid Stuff by Pup, and that's also something that I would also like to replicate because it just sounds awesome. That's some dope <laughs> stuff. That's yeah. like everything's super loud, but it mm-hmm. all fits together perfectly, so it doesn't sound like muddy at all. It's yeah. wow. it's a cool, it's some cool stuff. Yeah, highly recommend that album. I don't know too. who the producer on that is. I'll have to look that up, yeah. too. What about you, Wesley? What's your... I'm on a huge Interpol kick right now. Okay. Turn on the bright <laughs> lights, man. That album is so good, and uh, that's Gareth Jones who did that. And that that record just, like, 
blows my mind. The use of reverb, the use of distortion, everything put together is super cool. It's very spacey, very art rocky, and that's kind of a style that I love. Also love lo-fi and distortion style. Obviously, like Steve Albini would fall in that wheelhouse who did Nirvana's In Utero and Pixies' Surferosa, that kind of stuff. So, so like, what? All right. So, what are your your favorite? Because you know, you talk about the wrapping of the microphone, putting it underwater, and um, and getting that sound. I've heard of like George Martin who made Paul McCartney play in the middle of the room with his bass amp, or or he'd play off to the side and you put the microphone in the middle of the room to catch more of the reverb of the room. So, like, what are your weird techniques like that? Like, have you used any of them? Have you invented your own? Or or what's like your favorite one that you've ever heard of? Not even weird, but just like innovative things like that. I got two. One is a fun fact, and that's the guitar tone on Helter Skelter that George Martin did. It's not running through a guitar amp. It's, it's running, running through... It's directly into the console, and that's the Neve board clipping. That's what the distortion <laughs> oh. from that comes from. So I that's thought, a fun fact. I didn't know that. Yep. And uh, so George Martin did a lot of stuff like that, like weird approaches to recording things that have had standardized methods forever. Like you put an SM57 in front of the guitar cabinet at the angle of the speaker cone, and boom, you're, you got a good guitar tone. But no, he was like, no, let's just plug it into the board yeah. and see what happens. Another one is uh, one that my friend Matthew Klemetson and I started doing. I don't know where he got it from. It might come from like some YouTube video, uh, or it might have just been a weird idea he had. Is a garden hose. You take a garden hose and a funnel. You tape the funnel at the end of the garden hose, and you put that on a mic stand or some mechanism to hold it in place. And so you'd mic up a guitar cab how you normally would, but you also stick a mic in a different room so the sound's isolated at the other end of the garden hose. And it's got a really weird, like, like you know, what, if, have you ever picked up a garden hose and like, yeah, talked through it? It's, like, weird and tinny. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it adds that effect to the, to the sound of the guitar. All right. So you put the microphone in the funnel side? No, you put them like, you can do funnels on both ends if you want, but you just put it on one end of the garden hose, the opposite, isolated from the guitar cabinet, and uh-huh. then the other end you stick in front of the guitar cabinet. Oh. The funnel would take more take sound and push sound it in. in. There, there's some impedance problems with there, which contributes to like the weirdness of the sound but this cool because you can do so many random things with that by just moving the hose in the middle of the performance you add some kind of it's it's just an analog effect that there would probably be a digital comparison to but because it's analog and it's in the real world there's no exact replica of it and everything's totally random and every take you do is going to be totally different so that's a cool little Cool little ditty that you can do. If hey, have you tried this one yourself like, yeah. with your friend? It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't have I don't have a file on me. Do you so know you of Do you know of anybody that's used this technique in? I don't think anybody in their right mind would use the technique. No? <laughs> yeah, because now I'm curious to hear what this sounds it's, like. It's a very very weird sound, and usually you wouldn't use it just by itself unless you're doing yeah, some maybe like weird like layered EDM or something thing. There. But like what you can do is you can also get just a clean mic on the same guitar cabinet. So you have a take that has that's wet, and you have a take that's dry. Yeah, and you can you mix blend them the together. together. Yeah, wow, but that's you can cool. do some weird stuff with things like that. Yeah, yeah. People people have way too much time on their hands when I hear about these things. Like, would I have ever thought of taking a funnel and a garden hose and plugging it to a mic or to an amp and a mic? No, probably not. <laughs> but if I had a lot of time, maybe. What about you? Maybe you have a lot of time, Andrew. Do you, have you come you know, up with anything weird? I, I can't think of anything quite as uh, creative as that. But I did see uh, one thing being used where um, 
it, it was actually they they took a really really old tape recorder uh, that had its own uh, speaker system in it, but it was super old, super staticky. It was it was basically a piece of junk. Uh, but we were able to put a, a line in from a guitar into it, and uh, you could put a mic on top of the speaker. Uh, and we record the sound coming out of the tape recorder, and that had a really cool, like lo-fi sounding thing, very staticky. It was it was cool, bro. You can modify like little Tykes toy microphones and add like quarter inch outputs to them and use them as microphones in the studio, and you'll get a weird effect. If you want to like delve into this world, go on YouTube and look up some people who do circuit bending. They'll mm-hmm. take like toy saxophones where you press a button and it makes a noise, and they'll turn them into these super weird analog synths. Wow. It's, I mean, the, the possibilities are literally endless because any kind of electronic device that makes noise, you could turn it into something you could pass a signal through. Yeah. It's yeah. not that hard. <laughs> like, you, if you know how to solder something, you can do it. So you can do a bunch of weird things. Or just sample it. And, and just... then, even then, outside of electronics, analog stuff you can do is super weird. So I've got a couple examples there if you have the time Let, for Let's it. hear them. we got time. There's a song by Smino, who's a St. Louis rapper. He's kind of hitting it big. It's called Z4L. And there's a sound in there where it sounds like with the, the chords that are being played, which is like a piano instrument, you hear this hiss. And what I my guess as to what it is, and this is a big part of being a producer, is listening and guessing what something is, is... They set a monitor face down into a snare drum, and then they recorded the sound of the snares rumbling as the speaker moved them. Oh my gosh, yeah. So you can add a really cool texture to your sound by doing something like that, because it'll only rumble when the sound's being played, and you can mix it in. Another one is, I forgot the name of the guy. He was producing, I believe, uh, what's their name? Not Boris. They have a song called Boris, the doom metal band. What's their name? Do you know who I'm talking about? No, I don't. Oh, my God. The Melvins. The Melvins. He was producing the Melvins. And uh, what he did was he had a Leslie speaker, which is a speaker that rotates around as it's being played. So it has like a, a phase effect to it. He wrapped it in a rug so that sound went out of it two different ways. And this was, this was his method to convert a mono track, which is a one-channel track, into a stereo track, which has left-right. So we wrapped it in a rug, put kick drums on both sides of the rug so that the sound coming from the rug would resonate in the kick drums, and then mic'd up those kick drums with two different mics and panned them left and right. So and that's how the... we turned a mono signal into a stereo signal. Wow. That give you like a little bit of a tremolo too? Yeah, right tremolo, with the, it like with phaser. The Leslie. You, you can't really describe those analog things with yeah. using one effect name, but yeah, it's it's some cool stuff. I mean, stuff. it gives you like, yeah, like you said, it gives you, it takes all of those and gives you like a brand new. You're taking something that's electronic and giving it physical space when you do something like yeah, that. And that's, that's a pretty cool concept. That's really cool. Yeah. I, I've always been so fascinated with how people have discovered these things. And it's so cool when you hear about those like weird, even when they're by accident, like, you know, I don't know how you accidentally find a garden hose into a studio with a funnel, but you know, you get, you, you get creative and you start thinking like, how can I find more sounds? And how can I, and uh, that's hopeful for music. That just means that there's plenty of more stuff out there to figure out. Yeah, but sure. for all these ideas, maybe like one out of every 50 work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, some yeah. of them are, are really, really 
bad still. <laughs> yeah, but that's how you get your bag of tricks is you just look at what other people do. Like that rug thing is genius, taking a mono signal and finding a physical way to turn it stereo. And then like taking your and own twist on it. it's just really disappointing probably for all of the people that spend the time and the coding and the software to make all of these digital plugins and then you take a rug or a hose and you have something so much cooler than this yeah. all of this time and money that's people spent like yeah, and then, selling and downloading these plugins and, and they're then, like now how do we code that yeah <laughs> now how can we'll just send you a rug in the mail right. <laughs> we'll, we'll send you all the parts i mean every audio effect has started this way like digital reverb like the way that they did it originally was they sent electronic signals through a plate and then they picked up the frequencies at different points on the plate, and the plate resonated, and they used, like, piezoelectric pickups, and then they were able to create reverb that way. Yeah, that's that's crazy. That's so, stuff, I mean... Same thing with the spring. You know, there's spring reverb that does the exact same thing, so... Yeah, there's so much out there, and there's so much to be learned, and I like it. Um, one thing I think we'll, we'll touch on is we'll take a quick break, and we'll come back. We're going to talk about... Um, how you guys take songs and, and just from you know, like a guitar and a voice and how you guys make them into full produced songs and kind of your process. And, you know, you guys work together too. And we're going to play one of a couple of your unfinished songs. We, you know, we want to let you know, they want to let you know that these are yes. unfinished because <laughs> as soon as I told them that we were going to play this, they both like, oh, they got uneasy in their seat when they were moving around. They're like, Oh, but it's not mixed and it's not bastard. And it's not, it's not ready to go. And I was like, it doesn't matter. I want to play them. Because they're not finished yet. And then, you know, um, to my dad, if I put these for my dad, he'd be like, oh, sounds good. Put it on the radio. <laughs> um, but you guys have much more uh, attuned ears than my dad. And so now you can you can tell him what, what you would need to fix. So we're going to listen to that. We're going to talk about the production process all when we come back right here on The Ryan Pollock Show. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Ryan Pollock Show on WCRX-FM. Be sure to check out WCRX's variety of podcasts, including Focal Point, created in collaboration with the Museum of Contemporary Photography. Focal Point is a podcast exploring the artists, themes, and processes that define and sometimes disrupt the world of contemporary photography. Check it out. What are the rules with photographing buildings and, and places where people lived their lives and and what have you come across in doing that project yeah i mean i try to approach it in many ways in the same way um i don't always have the same connection to that particular place that i might have with a connection with a person Mm -hmm. um but I, i i try to approach projects that yeah that are about that are about buildings or involve buildings as a way to talk about these other things um in a similar kind of way. Available wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Ryan Pollock Show. This is The Ryan Pollock Show, and we're back with local Chicago producers. They go to Columbia, Wesley and Andrew. And uh, we, we, got, like, we started really nerding out there in the last segment. We were talking about all these crazy techniques that people use, uh, using hoses to record guitars and... Uh, all this stuff. So they, they have a whole bag of tricks. But right now I want to get back to the basics, and I just want to ask them, when you guys start out with a guitar and a voice, you know, say um, someone comes in, like a little girl comes in with her pink guitar and her voice, and she comes in and she sits down at the mic and she plays her little song. How do you take that song and then turn it into a number one hit? Your, your production processes. Well, I, I mean, we can talk a little bit about what we did for this latest project we worked on, right? Where uh, basically I, I had some time at the studio uh, 
where I could work on my own project. And I had, I had three days. And so I went up to Wesley, who is a really amazing musician. And I, I was like, Hey, I got some time in the studio. Let's, uh, let's make something happen. And so, uh, the first thing we did is he came over to, uh, my house and, uh, we played a couple of the songs and we just kind of talked about what we liked about it, maybe rearranging some things to make it more of a cohesive piece. Um, and just trying to, uh, make it as concrete of an idea before we got into the studio to actually record it. So, so it was all about getting that fundamental, okay, what are the, uh, what are the chord progressions? Where are the lyrics? How is the structure going to go? And then we could get into the process of, okay, how's it going to sound now when we actually flesh it out? Um, that's how we kind of approached this particular project. Um, but yeah, do you have anything you want to add, Wesley? I think it's different for everybody. I think that yeah. recording down the basic idea is the first step for anything. Yeah. Like demo it on your iPhone, demo it wherever. But then when you're in the studio, I don't think it's a good idea to go into the studio with like a full-fledged plan of what you want the song to sound like. Because if you do that, then you're limiting your creativity. Because when you go into a studio, you know, there's a marimba, there's a B3, Hammond B3. There's all these things that you never probably even thought about putting on the track. But then once you have your basic idea down, you just think like, all right, what's in the studio that we can play and see how it sounds? And then you do it, and then if it sounds good, you keep it. And if you do, if it doesn't, you don't keep it. Yeah. But your yeah, question... There's so much experience. But it is. It, it's like experimenting. Sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you know what you want to put in there instrument-wise. And so you sit down, and you just you doodle or something for a little bit, and you see if you can figure something out. And sometimes you know exactly. You have the melodic line in your head, or you have the beat in your head of the marimba. or um, uh, Yeah, but it, I feel like it's so much, like you said, it's a good combination of working out the X's and the O's before you go into the studio and figuring out, okay, this is the form of the song. And then when you get in there, kind of like on the spot, almost improvising, yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. So you both produce individually, but you also produce together. And right now we're going to listen to one of the songs, um, which this is this is French, and I don't speak French. C'est la vie. What does this mean? C'est la vie. That's life. That's life. <laughs> All right. Good. We're going to listen to C'est la vie. That's life. Now, disclaimer coming directly from the producers yeah. themselves this is not finished so before you call in here and you blow up my phone lines and you tell me that their snare isn't eq'd or that the voice doesn't have reverb on it or something it's not finished yet okay mom it's and, not and we, finished we can explain to why it's not finished right because we need to clean it up a little bit uh vocal wise i like bad words so uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah so yeah we so, also we had to bleep stuff out um but, but but there there is a so I I've already finished one round of mixing but I wasn't able to get the stems for Wesley to actually do a, a clean mix of it uh, so it's basically a very quick mix of the initial recorded yeah yes. so, which is good yeah. so we're gonna give it a listen and then and then we'll come back and maybe we can also reference stuff again if you guys need to hear it to talk about it and yeah. mm-hmm. uh, here it is say la vie that's life. Irish leather boots Well I guess I'm Port Kennedy I'm unemployed and uninsured So pass me the Hennessy The sun's shining in Chicago But I can't go outside I got me a 12 Let's call it a night 
Cigarettes and goose island tequila and some grass Right now there's nothing in the world to get me off my ass Cigarettes and goose island tequila and some grass There'll never be nothing in this world to get me off my ass What? Cigarettes and goose islands, killing some grass. Right now, there's nothing in the world to get me off my. So let's sit right here and pass me that line. Cause they keep me company through an existential fight. C'est la vie. Um, I like this little feedback. <laughs> yeah. I like that little yeah. feedback at the end. That's nice. C'est uh, la vie. That's life. That's French. And I don't speak French. But c'est la vie. It looks pretty um, in person. And it sounds pretty, too, for not being fully produced yet. I like that little part in the in the, um, in the the middle there. Uh, that reminds me of oh, it's a Led Zeppelin song. Doesn't matter. Reminds me of a Led Zeppelin song. Uh, I like Hills and Far Away. No, right. no, that's my one shot. I had it right here too, I'm babe. I'm gonna leave you. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, kind of reminds cool. me of the beginning of that one. Like you know, okay, we don't need to talk about Led Zeppelin, but we do need to talk about this song and how. Um, where are you at in the process of this? So talk to me, like yeah. what as you listen right there, what you're thinking and what you think needs to be changed and what's making you squirm in your seat. Yeah, so like I, I was saying before, I just finished the first round of mixing, um, and I sent them over to Wesley to take a listen, and we can talk about diving into it even further. But uh, listening to that, I mean, the, the first thing that came to my head was the the drums, because that was something I, I had to work a lot on, because uh, for, for some background, the way the recording process went is we had three days, and... Um, we for the drums we actually brought in my dad to do the drumming uh which was really cool for my my first real project in the studio to have my dad be on it it was, it was kind of fun it was Shout cool out to mr ryan yeah for sure um but uh but we only had my dad doing drums for one day so we had to get all the drums recorded and finished for four songs uh in one day so there was a lot of stress especially since uh it was my first time using the studio 
totally on my own. So I had to get everything up and running, all the mics set up, uh, break down from what was happening there before. Uh, and think about day three on day one because right. you're recording the drums and like he's not coming back in. So whatever he lays down, you're going to have to either splice together really well or... Exactly. Yeah. So, so part of what happened in that chaos of trying to get everything set up is I didn't actually check for... Uh, phase cancellation between microphones. And so for um, audio engineers who are listening to this, they're probably like, that was really stupid. You definitely should have done that. <laughs> uh, and for people who, who might not know what that is, basically if you think about um, a microphone and a sound wave hitting it, so if it's a, a snare drum, that snare drum is making a sound wave that the microphone is picking up. For the bass drum and the snare, I had two mics, one on the top snare, one on the bottom, and then one on each side of the kick drum. But when you have two uh, microphones that are on the same thing, you're going to have a sound wave that's going into it at different, uh, potentially different times. The goal is to get it at the same time so that the sound waves build on each other. But you can get it where if they're at, the, uh, at a particular distance away, you can have the sound waves actually canceling each other out and you won't get the sound that you're trying to capture. So I wasn't getting total cancellation in things like the snare and the uh, kick, but it was enough that like the kick, there's not a defined uh, kick like you would hear in most songs, for example. Right? And that's partly because there's some phase cancellation happening. The snare, um, the snare actually didn't have too much uh, cancellation, but it, picked up a lot of the uh, the symbols. There was a lot of cymbal bleed in the snare. So part of the things that I worked on in my first round of mixing was to figure, figure out a way to make the bass drum sound punchier uh, and less uh, boomy, less, uh, you know, vibrant um, or reverberant is what I'm looking for. Uh, and then to get some of the cymbal sound out of my snare so that the snare had a more defined crack. And so those were some of the things that I went about trying to clean up in my first round of mixing. And then for Wesley, uh, on this mix, you put them all into one, <laughs> uh, into one bus. You put all the snare, uh, stems into one compressor. Yeah. And... I did a no, no, you're not supposed to do that, but, <laughs> but I it, like it sounded kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. You end. came into the studio the other morning. You're like, Look at this! You were telling me about it. <laughs> it's a like, stupid trick. Look what I did! It's like you if were you excited wanna, about it. If you want to fake being good at lo-fi, you just compress everything and you just see what happens, and that's how you can fake being good at lo-fi production. I like it. I like the techniques. Yeah. And, uh, wow. I mean, I I think it, it sounds good, and it sounds like it's uh, it's certainly you know after you describe those things that it doesn't have a lot of tweaking left, but. Maybe. Oh, well, I, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's got quite a we're, bit. Of we're tweaking, a few but... mixes away. All right. From all right. I, I guess I won't. Yeah. But uh, but that's all part of the process, yeah. too, is is uh, you, you you start getting closer and closer to the end product of what you're really happy for. And people can go through many rounds of mixes before you get that final product that you're really happy with. Also, something I'd like to add is he was talking about the phase issues, and yeah, they're there, but half the fun of engineering and producing is like making Bob Ross happy accidents, and it's yeah. like, all right, what are we going to do with that? Just and then it figuring it out. Yeah. Just going to turn this into a bird. Pretty much, exactly. And one of the solutions I found for getting the cymbal bleed out was actually um, something I found on YouTube. I was just I was looking for anything to take the cymbal bleed out of my snare mic. And the way that I went about trying to fix it, which I think, I don't know, you heard the first round of mixes. It doesn't sound too bad yeah, right now. No, it's um, genius. But 
the way that I tried to clean up some of the bleed is I uh, first EQ'd the snare to sound the way I want to when you actually hear the, the snare uh, you know, click. Um, and then I duplicated the track with, with everything on it. I put a uh, compressor, like a really just Pro Tools basic compressor at the front end of uh, the chain. And I uh, put the attack uh, to its uh, quickest setting, the release to its quickest setting, and then put the ratio like all the way up. And then I, at the end of the chain, put an EQ where I uh, put a high-pass filter. So I was picking up all the cymbal uh, bleed stuff, but then I phase-canceled it. Uh. So it, in a way, uh, was able to start to cancel out some of the high-end frequencies from the cymbals uh, while maintaining the actual snare sound it's, that's great i was going to ask you about that about your kick drum and i didn't want to get i didn't want to nerd out too much and be yeah. like would you do eq it around the 200 or something like yeah. did you give it a little burst i didn't want to be a nerd but i wanted to ask you like when you were talking about you wanted to beef up your your kick like what yeah. what you did with that was that more of like did you play with the attack time more on that and yeah so there's um there were a couple of different things I did, but the, the thing that I think made the most difference for now was I actually used a plugin called um, Oxford Envolution um, that uh, my, my mentor kind of showed me. And it, uh, yeah, yeah, my mentor showed me. And it was basically um, this plugin where you could increase the transients but take out sustain. So oh, cool. uh, you would hear a lot more of the actual kick, a lot more of the uh, batter coming through on the actual track. Uh, but any of that reverb and, and boom was actually lessened because yeah. you're taking out sustain. So but, in English, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> a compressor and a gate at the same time where a gate only lets sounds above a certain level through and a compressor is anything above a certain level will get squashed to fit that level. Oh yeah. You're talking about the, the snare now or, and, and, oh, and, oh, and, and, and with the, the transients and the, and the decay and like cutting it out is if it's above a certain level, like you're, you're essentially just gating it by doing that. It's like the rever- the reverberant sound gets canceled out. You only want sounds that are loud and punchy. Yeah. Yeah. This is awesome. Well, Hey, I tell you what, uh, we're going to come back. We're going to, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to play a game that I have Dope. for us. Um, that is really wacky, but, uh, I think it's going to be fun. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Ryan Pollock show back in a couple minutes. Talk to you soon. Be sure to check out WCRX's variety of podcasts, including Profiled, hosted by Kaylin Lore, which explains the unique artistic endeavors of a plethora of students at Columbia College, Chicago. Hear about each artist's inspiration, accomplishments, and goals. Check it out. That was the coolest moment of my life. I mean, first time with a wireless mic, first time I really experienced what it was like to move around and work a big stage and work a big crowd. And I think I got a little too excited at times. Um, Available wherever you get your podcast. This is the Ryan Pollock Show on Chicago's Underground, 88.1 WCRX-FM. All right, welcome back to the show. Uh, We're running a little low on time, which stinks because I had this game planned out. Uh, Last week I played a really, really interesting game, which you can check out on our Facebook at WCRX-FM. I played that with our guest last week. And so I thought, you know what? I got to play another game this week. And this is called... Gotta try to blow through this game here. This is called Produce or (laughs) Can't even get this out. Produce or Produce. (laughs) 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 All right. 
All right. Produce or produce. Guess the name of the band who has a produce item in their title. Okay. Formed in 1983 in La La Land, this band can be sweet or spicy. They like one particular color the best, even though they come in many different shapes. Red Hot Chili Peppers, next one. (laughs) Nice. That's impressive. That's a bold move. See, I thought I'd start off really easy. The rest of that was they got fleas, but they don't. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, no. I I was out of pocket. (laughs) I like the confidence there. I like the confidence. All right, the next one. Hey, watch where you're going. They can't see. This band also formed in La La Land, but is mostly known for their one-hit wonder in 1993. If their one-hit wonder stood true, there would be a drought and you wouldn't be able to grow this fruit. This one's tough. This, yeah, see, you got cocky, you know. <laughs> uh, 1993. And in this is tough. Let me see if I can think of anything better. It's a two-word two band. Two-word title to their band name. Nothing. One hit wonder, basically, I think. Uh, Blind Melon? Oh, okay, yeah. No Rain? Yeah. yeah. That is a one hit wonder. Yeah. All right, an Irish rock band formed in 1989. This band goes great with vodka, so they say. The fresher they are, the more sour and bitter they come. They are still rocking today, just released a new album, so they are not dried up yet. Just released a new album. It's a '90s or, or wait, what, when is it? Yeah, they were formed Irish. in 1989, but it's a '90s band mostly known for their Irish. Enter the Haggis. No. Okay. Is that no? These are all. These are all oh, like these are all, very yeah, 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 mainstream. Yeah. Produce. Produce. Titled. Bands. Sorry, I was just thinking food. Bands um, with food from produce section right. in their title. Irish dude, I can't think of this. Uh, no. Goes great with vodka. I thought that would be the giveaway, maybe. Because, you know, there's not a lot of produce things. I don't know. The cranberries. Oh. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, maybe you're not cranberry fans. I mean, All right, I'm hoping didn't, that Didn't you... the lead singer of the cranberries just die recently? Yes, but they... They, they still released an album post-mortem? Yeah. I didn't know that. See, that's why I knew it was... Or it came out just before the death. Or, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't remember which but one. that's why I didn't say it. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's hope that we can redeem. Let's right, hope we can right, go. This one, four. you should be able to get this one. It's a metal band, and they spell their name wrong. They're from California, and I've seen this, but I've seen this veggie right here in the Midwest. Corn? Corn, yes. <laughs> yes. All right. They went 50%. The rest of it, the, this definitely would have given it away. Actually, way too much of it I've seen here in the Midwest. I've heard they are amazing live. There you go. All right. There you go. Yeah. All right. Wesley, Andrew. Two producers coming down here. You're, you're guessing my stupid games about produce. Thank you guys for coming down. Uh, this was this was a blast for me because uh, I got to nerd out a bit, like with you guys about production and stuff. And you guys yeah. both know what you're doing, and so it's fun to talk with you. And uh, first for the Ryan Pollock show, like I said, kind of like the behind the scenes guys, and I like that. But you guys are also out in the front. Um, if you guys were to release music in the future, where would we find this at? <laughs> The band's name is Father's Day. The EP name is Full on French. <laughs> full on French, Father's Day. Yes. Just don't go full on French with your father. Exactly. <laughs> Boys, thank you guys so much for coming down here. Thank you for being on the Ryan Pollock Show. Thank Thanks you very much. 
Did you enjoy the podcast? Be sure to check out WCRX's variety of podcasts, including The Career Class, hosted by professors Flora Bernetti and Lisa Hopkins Newell. The Career Class is about chasing success in contemporary America, fueling motivation and aspiration, and striving for growth in individuals' careers. Check it out. Um, But this chapter really kind of flipped me into thinking about, you know, seeking out people who are thinking differently. They're not in agreement with me. And instead of dismissing them, like, oh, okay, thanks, Um, embracing them and going, talk to me a little bit about our difference, our disagreement, and using it as a way to learn something and adding it onto your knowledge instead of rejecting it, going, okay, they don't agree with me. They don't see my vision. You know, they're not available wherever you get your podcasts.